As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stayskull. He is Paul Tenorio, and we are brought to you this week by uh, the close of the transfer window. I don't know. That's not really a product that would that would normally sponsor this show. It's not 90s. It's not nostalgic. But it did happen. The transfer window in MLS has closed. We saw a flurry of moves ahead of the deadline on Thursday night. We are going to break all of those down. Uh, we're going to talk about the ones that stood out in good ways and bad. A couple of blockbuster type moves, some really significant ones. So we'll get into all of that. Just a quick kind of programming note here. We are recording this obviously after the window closed. That was on Thursday night. Right now is Friday morning. Um, due to some scheduling issues, we had to fit this into a tight window on Friday morning. So we recorded the other two segments of the show where we talked about new ownership in Orlando. Paul had a discussion with Mark Wilf who's kind of leading the charge for the Wilf family with Orlando City and the Orlando Pride. So we talked about new ownership there. We talked about a few kind of housekeeping items. We talked about some all-star game stuff as well. But, you know, we also talked about a couple of outgoing moves. So apologies if we if we double back in cover ground. We did record this on two different days. Uh, so a little bit of a strange episode. But anyway, that's not really that big of a deal. Paul, is it was deadline day. What do you think, man? Leo Messi did not come to MLS yet, but maybe he will. Who knows? Yeah, not yet. Not going to happen uh, right now, obviously, because the window's closed. Well, wait. He, oh, he's a but free he's, agent. He's a free right. agent. He can still come. He's, he can sign it's outside of the window. Yet. It's not over yet, Colorado Rapids. It can uh, still well, happen. Actually, I did ask Borg Smith on the record yesterday if they were signing Leo Messi, and he said no. So it oh. is not happening, Colorado it's Rapids It's over, fans. Colorado Rapids. It's o- that quickly. But it was not all over, other, it was all over. The 26 other teams in MLS, he's on the table. We'll see. Start <laughs> start holding your breath right now. If you are a Dynamo fan, if you are a Real Salt right. Lake fan. Vancouver. If you are a Vancouver Whitecaps fan, DC United fan. What would no. be the funniest place for Messi to end up in MLS? I think the funniest place for him to end up would be... Well, the funny, absolute funniest place would be FC Cincinnati. Um, oh, that would be good. I, I think it's Salt Lake. Though. Salt Lake would be amazing. Because then he's playing for Real, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. That would be pretty good. Um, 
yeah, anyway, Messi, he's not coming to MLS just now, it looks like. But who knows, man? If the league wants to make up a new rule to sign Messi, I'd be fine with that. I wouldn't mind it. In fact, I would encourage it if that's what it takes to get done. Um, but we're not talking about Leo Messi. We're talking about the moves that actually did happen. The biggest of which was Jeremy Abobasi, I think, to the San Jose Earthquakes in exchange for over a million dollars, over one, nearly $1.2 million dollars. In allocation money. Paul, you you had a good read on this one. Um, you were all over the news when it broke on Wednesday night. Um, walk me through this one. Walk us through this one. Yeah. I mean, look, I think we have to understand that this is a salary cap league. I mean, that's what this whole podcast is about, is that, you know, everything MLS teams do, do is is done under the under the kind of weight of getting it done within the cap, the cap rules. And you have to be able to manage your cap over multiple years. And I think Jeremy Obobese is kind of a victim of a few different things. First of all, he's a victim of a coach who maybe didn't see him as a number nine and, and went out, you know, the team went out and signed a, two number nines, one of them to a DP deal, one of them to a TAM deal. And and so Obobese was playing out of position. We can start with that part, just the soccer part there. I think we all... I, you and I are probably in agreement that Iboba sees better as a number nine than he is as a winger. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, I think the effective. Timbers would even agree with that. Yeah, honestly. I think the Timbers would too. And so they looked at it and they said, okay, we have a player who we're asking to play out of position. Um, and there's a, uh, uh, there is a desire among around the league to sign this guy. There are, play, there are, there are teams who are interested in him. And I think, if you're Jeremy Obobese, you're looking at the number nine spot at the U.S. men's national team, and there aren't, there's not a lot of players right now that are grabbing hold of that starting job. You know, Jossie Zardes has probably made the strongest argument of anybody over the last few months to be the starter for the U.S. men's national team. So he wants to go somewhere where he can play. And you take all of those factors, and then you look at the fact that when MLS threatened to lock the players out over the CBA because they hadn't signed the CBA when COVID hit. So the league used that as leverage, threatened to lock out, took the players back into negotiations. And in the course of that negotiations for a second year in a row, they pushed back the terms of the CBA by a year, which kept the salary cap flat. And that salary cap cap will stay flat again next year. And so all of these teams are under a little bit more of a salary cap crunch than they typically would have been. And so you know, when Ibobasi got a new deal right before the pandemic hit. And that deal was structured like a lot of young Americans deals are structured, where there's a big incentive at the very end of the deal to move to move the player to Europe. Right? There's a usually usually right. during the a, deal. Yeah. yeah. Usually it includes a big jump in salary at the end of it to incentivize the club to to make a move to to sell the player to Europe by the end of the deal. Right. And so the Timbers were looking at it and saying, okay, there's one more guaranteed year left on Ibobasi's deal. Then we get to those option years. I'm guessing that it included a big escalator. You know, now is the time to make a move or else we're going to be in real salary cap problems by the end of next year. And they had a huge offer. I mean, this is a significant amount of GAM. Sam, I was going back and looking. I think this is the most amount of general allocation money that's ever been traded within the league. Really? More than Nagby? Well, Nagby was GAM and TAM. It was still when TAM was tradable. Uh, so there's yes. two trades that had more allocation money in general that moved. That's the Nagby deal from Portland to Atlanta. I think it was a little bit less from Atlanta to Columbus overall on the overall deal. Yeah, um, or roughly the same anyway. And the other one was the 
worst trade in MLS history, in my opinion, which was the Dom Dwyer to Orlando City trade. Um, I think it was $1.6 million in allocation money. <laughs> I don't um, know if that's the worst trade in MLS history. I was actually I was actually going back. Do you know what was traded by the Rapids for Kellen Acosta? Wasn't it like 400000 No. It was Dominic Baggi in, in an international spot. And in exchange, they got Acosta, a second-round pick, and a first-round pick swap, which helped them draft Andre Shinyashiki. Wow. Yeah, that's a and pretty this, bad trade too. This and the second rounder that they got, they turned into Clint Irwin. So yeah, pretty good, pretty good trade. But yeah. I still think tr- trading one point eight million dollars in allocation money for Dom Dwyer is uh, yeah. still at the top of my list. Yeah, um, well, you know, didn't work whatever. out great for Orlando City. Not uh, awesome. Kyle Becker for, for Medi Malushi once alert as well. Yeah, but, there there yeah. are there are many candidates out there. We digress. Um, I think Nick Romando and Freddie Adu for you know. Troy Perkins was like another one that goes up there. Um, yeah. <laughs> do. So uh, the point being that, you know, this is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah, sure is. Um, it's more than Montreal traded for Georgie Mihailovic recently, which was a million dollars. It's more than... Um, it's more than Colorado trade? traded Colorado for Mark Anthony K. Mark Anthony K. Not so, much more, but a little bit. Yeah, so I, I I think it was it was kind of it reached. I mean, what I'm trying to get to here, and I'm doing it not eloquently, which, because I haven't been sleeping in in weeks now. Um, but it was <laughs> stop it was, blaming stop blaming this on your children. This is Ben's fault, and and actually, right now, Jane's fault for sure. Um, th- those are my kids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, this was a must a must trade situation you you pull the trigger on this you avoid cap issues down the road you get the player to a place where he wants to be playing playing the position where he wants that he wants to be playing and you get a ton of allocation money that you can then apply to elsewhere on your cap to alleviate the cap issues that come from a flat salary cap because of the cba problem created by your ownership group for sure um so some things i want to add there that were sort of touched on but not all the way i obviously was a spot starter for the timbers Right, and they're having Nia's go to come back. Blanco's coming back. They just have this new twenty-two U twenty-two signing from Colombia, who is a much more friendly cap hit. Yes, um, hitting the cap at two hundred thousand. Yes. Santiago Moreno. It's Moreno, right? Yeah. Sorry, it's early here. I'm struggling a little right now, but we'll get through it together. Um, so he was sort of surplus to requirements. Um, and for San Jose, I keep talking about Colorado. I'm currently in Colorado. I just interviewed all the Rapids people yesterday, so they're very front of mind for me right now. But one thing that they've done in this rebuild that's been pretty successful for them um, is use allocation money as an inter- intra-league transfer fund. They're not using it to buy down the salaries of these highly paid players because they don't have that many highly paid players, right? And San Jose is in a similar position. They don't have a ton of highly paid guys, right? So they have some allocation money to burn. And they can go out and try and buy someone on the international market who may or may not hit, right? Who may or may not adjust, who may adjust in two years, or they can use some of that gam to go get somebody from within MLS, right? Whose ceiling maybe isn't as high, but is maybe a much, much more of a known quantity in the league. And that's what they're getting in Abobasi. He's been productive when he's played as a nine, right? And I'm really, I think he's going to be super motivated in San Jose. And I think he's going to be playing as a striker. And I'm really curious to see how that looks. Another element of this trade that I don't think I've seen touched on either in print or on Twitter or in different interviews, Chris Leitch, man, he's he's very much like 
you know, he's the technical director technically, but he's auditioning for the sporting director role there or the GM role. And this, it may or may not be a permanent thing for him, but he is running the show right now. And this is a massive swing for an interim guy effectively to take. And I'm kind of into it. You know, he's been there forever. Um, and he hasn't gotten a shot at the big job yet. And, you know, he's getting a little taste right now. So why not do some things? Um, and like I said, they've, they haven't had success in the international market. They haven't gone after domestic players at all. We've talked about this on the show. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see if this is a one-off or if this is kind of a more serious change of strategy for San Jose moving forward. But I like this move, Paul, for everybody. Yeah, for the I Quakes, think, for the Timbers, and for for Abubasi. Yeah, Matt Doyle made a good point. I did a um, Twitter Spaces when the deal first went down, and Matt Doyle came on. We were talking about it, and he pointed out the fact that San Jose leads the league in crosses. They're a very cross-heavy team. Abubasi very good in the air. So from a soccer standpoint, this fits them very well. It fits Abubasi very well in what he does. He he's going to get a lot of opportunities, um, you know, to to get up and score with his head, and I think he'll get a lot of service to to try to put some goals away. So it's a big chance for him to audition. I don't think he's going to be in the mix for U.S. Men's National Team this fall with qualifiers, but you know he can certainly get himself in the mix for the spring qualifiers. I mean, who and knows? For man. the summer audition, and what really matters is: are you putting yourself on the radar for the World Cup? Um, right. And Greg Greg Berhalter, I will say, like I, I know for a fact that you know all coaches do this, not just Berhalter, but they look for forwards who are good on set pieces because you. You know, I, I pointed this out the other night, but Eddie Johnson was a good example of that with Jurgen Klinsmann. In CONCACAF, it matters if you have a forward who's good <laughs> yeah, in the air. Remember when Alan Gordon was getting call-ups and qualifiers? Yeah, because they, yeah. you know, if you're on the road in Honduras and they're they're playing five in the back and you need to break through late, you're getting cross after cross after cross into the box. You know, guys like Alan Gordon, like Eddie Johnson are really effective. And, and that could be a role Jeremy Obobese ends up winning, you know, and this move could help facilitating it. So... Help facilitate it. So I think um, <laughs> we knew what you meant. Paul. Something we like what my you dad meant. would say: help facilitating it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think it's a win-win-win all around. I was, I guess, I shouldn't say I was surprised. The, the Timbers fans reacted violently and negatively towards this trade. Jeremy Bobasi was a fan favorite. Sure, great guy. Um, we got to talk to him a bunch um, last year with the Black Players for Change. He's on the executive board there. Um, very well regarded in the Portland market. Um, I think, um, you know, understandably a fan favorite and it's always difficult when a fan favorite gets traded. Yeah. Um, But I think the right move for the Timbers, uh, a long-term short-term probably too. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see how it plays out for him in San Jose elsewhere in MLS. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to quickly note, Gio Savarese did come out in the post-game press conference and it, it was clear that not everyone was on board with this trade. He did voice a little bit of dissent on this move, understandably Ooh. so. Coaches want he to win. He didn't play him yeah, as co- a nine. That's what's interesting. But coaches want to win today. So if you're taking a good player off of their roster and you feel like a little bit of pressure to win, I get it. But you know, in the I think in the longer term, and by longer term I mean next year and the year beyond that, this was a necessary move, necessary cat move. Uh, and the that's right kind of fresh for Savarese to complain about that. Yeah, it was when interesting. He didn't wasn't it? play him. Now like, let's move on. I on. thought that was interesting, though. I yeah. wanted to note that. 
All right. So moving on to the team that is always in the news and connected to every player in the world and doing crazy things and, you know, maybe making some signings, maybe making some signings where you're kind of scratching your head. You know, do they have a coach? Is it the right coach? I'm not talking about Inter-Miami. I'm talking about Atlanta United. Uh, they made a big move yesterday, announced a designated player signing, Luis Araujo uh, from Lille in France, a winger. Uh Looks like it's around 10, it's 10 plus million dollars. Uh, Atlanta had been connected to all number of players. Tiago Almada, Ferreira, uh, you know, they had a crazy situation. And this is, I don't think I've ever seen this before, Paul. And let me know if you have. But Braga, a club in Portugal, came out with an official club statement that Atlanta's $17.8 million offer for Ricardo Horta who, for those wondering, is the older brother of former LAFC DP Andre Horta, was rejected. Uh, it met the re- release clause, so the club had to agree to it, but Horta himself rejected it, and Braga came out and made this public statement. I was like, dang, man, why you got to drag him like that? Setting the market, man. They're letting everyone know, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll sell him. Here's Have the you ever price. seen anything like no, that? No, no, but I... I I kind of get what they're doing there. They're, they're probably, they probably need the money and they're saying to every other team in the world, look, we will move him for the right price. Well, he's got a release clause and, but he has to agree to the move, which he did not do. And they were like, also, we've signed him to a new five year contract. (laughs) He's their club captain. They were like, we thank him for staying. This is incredible. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, they end up signing Araujo. Um, it's one that sort of came out of nowhere. It looked like they were going to sign this Brazilian kid, Ferreira, from Grêmio. And there was all sorts of weird controversy happening there. The Grêmio sporting director was basically saying, we didn't agree to this move, but Atlanta paid the release clause and they just deposited it into an account. And, you know, he, he characterized it as essentially, a, I think the quote was a hostile buy. Um, it didn't end up happening. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> I guess it's not a, a hostile buy, but that was a weird one. Um, I don't know a ton about this player. He doesn't have overwhelming numbers in his time with Lille, but he's 25. He's, you know, he just played for the French champions. Lille was a very good, very good team the last couple of years. He's got Champions League and Europa League experience. Uh, he was in Sao Paulo before he moved to France. So, you know, a player with some talent, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, another expensive move for Atlanta. At a time when they don't have a coach, Paul. Like, this is weird. Like, I don't I don't really get it. Sam, you know what this feels like? This feels like when when you're like um taking a picture with a little kid and you need them to get you need to get them to look away from where they're looking at. You're trying to get them to look over to the camera and you take like something shiny, you know, and you start flashing it. You're like, over here, look over here, look yeah. over here. You're trying to distract them from what they're what they're doing. You know, that's what that this that's what this feels like a little bit. It feels a little bit like a panic buy. It feels a little bit like a, hey, don't pay attention to the the coaching search and the kind of mess that's going on over here. We're going to sign a player. And it's it's a little bit weird. I mean, the number of players that they were connected to, it makes it seem like they were determined to sign somebody in this window without a coach. Mm -hmm. Partly, I feel like, to try to signal to the fan base that we're still trying to win, which I get that part of it, but it still feels like it could be bad timing. Yeah. Certainly, it's a it's an announcement that Darren Neels and Carlos Bocanegra are still running the show and still believe they'll be running the show, you know, no matter who they hire as coach, right? Because if you're mm-hmm. signing DPs, 
without a coach. I mean, this is one of the biggest, if the transfer figure is accurate, it's one of the biggest fees in MLS history. Yeah. So in Atlanta are at the top of that list, like repeatedly, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to read into here. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it, you know, Carlos Bocanegra, you know, he's had a contract at the end of the year. Right. So that yeah. he's making um, this is it March. Yeah. In yeah. March. So, you know, he, you know, I think this is to me, I read into it that this is kind of a statement that we're, we're in charge here. We're still in charge. This isn't a mm-hmm. lame duck season. We are, and we still intend to make the playoffs, but it's, yeah. it, it feels like a risk. Yeah, for sure. So I have some feelings about this that are sort of similar to yours, but I wanted to expand on the point you made about the shiny object and and panic and all of that stuff. I want to be clear off the top. I think it's so cool that Atlanta is doing these sorts of things. Definitely. That they have the ambition to go out and do this and that they're connected to big time transfers and players that are wanted all over the world, right? I think it's really awesome that Arthur Blank is pushing in that way and that Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra are aggressive enough to go out and do it. Um, this also could work, right? This guy could come in and kill it, right? He and could be we, Rui and Diaz. Like, he could be 100%. Rui Diaz. Like, he could come in and kill it, right? Having said all of those things, it just, I, I just, this smacks of, of not having a clear plan to me, you know? Like, even, even the coaching search, right? And which is still ongoing, where you go after Fonseca, right? Former Roma manager. It looked like he was going to be Tottenham manager awesome ambition right you bring him in he's impressed he eventually turns it down and then you pivot and one of the guys you pivot to is gonzalo pineda who no no shade to him i think he's a guy that deserves a chance to have an mls head coaching job seattle sounders assistant those profiles are wildly different paul like wildly different right and so i'm like okay well what qualities do they share uh what in their background is similar and like the answer is like there isn't a ton of things in their background. Maybe their personalities are similar. Maybe their tactical visions, whatever. But, and then this DP thing, right? They're, they're all over the place with players that they're connected to in terms of some of them are 20, some of them are 30, right? But the one thing in common that they all have is they're all going to cost 10 million plus, right? And the fact that they don't have like a specific profile with all of these guys in common it just makes me sort of think like, okay, is there a plan here or are they just bouncing around, right? Is it, is it what it seems like? And they're just going for something big, right? And like I said, it could work, but this is not, it doesn't feel like the most well thought out strategy, if that makes sense. Um, but who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe this guy will come in and kill it and maybe the new coach will be great and maybe Atlanta will be back where they were. I'm not saying that's impossible because it's not at all. I think there's maybe even a decent chance that happens. But I think if it does happen, it won't be because of some grand plan, right? It'll be because they were able to spend a lot of money and get some good players and get a coach that was able to cobble it all together. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, It'll be interesting to watch. Another big part of this transfer window, Sam, moving on from Atlanta, I think has been the boom, the boon, the, the... First onrush, the major introduction. I mean, it's young money signings have been happening. The floodgates have the opened. Floodgates have opened on young money. Yes. Um, and, by and the way, we had another GM I calling was it say, young money. The floodgates have opened on young money in multiple ways. It is now another GM publicly declaring to the world that young money is yes. the correct term. We are tastemakers for this. That that trendsetters. You, if you don't know, now you know. We sit at the cool table at lunch. That's right. And, and all of you listening, you all know we've had we've had two GMs and an owner so far. We're keeping track. 
We're keeping track. That's right. That's right. Um, but there have been a bunch. Um, Seattle Sounders, Garth Lagerway is the one who called it a young money signing yesterday. Uh, yep. Leo Chu from Gremio, 21-year-old winger, I believe, um, signed yep. on young money. Um, By the way, Lagerway also called him the attacking new who. Oh, my God. We'll so- get to that. I'll, call, I'll, let, I'll let you go <laughs> off about that in a second. Um, the Vancouver Whitecaps signed Pedro Vite. Uh, to a young money deal, another player coming uh, out of Brazil, I believe. Uh, he's Ecuadorian youth Ecuador. national team. Sorry, Ecuadorian yeah. youth national team. He's Brazilian, though, but he plays for Ecuador. Born in Brazil. Yeah. I was reading about him yesterday. Um, <laughs> the Chicago Fire, uh, a report today that they have signed a young money player, Federico Navarro. Um, he's considered, he has been, I, the reading I did this morning, he has been considered the best defensive midfielder in the Argentine domestic league this season, um, apparently has just kind of a, uh, a huge capacity for running, covering ground, making tackles, basically exactly what the Chicago fire have needed for like three or four years now. But I guess since they <laughs> traded Dax McCarty, uh, he kind of was trying to provide that for a while. Just, so just two years. Yeah. Um, uh, LA galaxy, LA galaxy, Dehan Jovalich. That's how I'm going to pronounce that last name. He was signed as a young money player. So young money all over the place. Young money all over the place. Sam, what do you think about young money? How do you feel about these signings? What do you think about an attacking new who? (laughs) I'll start with your last question first. What do I think about an attacking new who? First of all, I'm a little bit worried that attacking new who is going to get in the way of regular new who. Right, like regular new who the all star, which we touch yes, on later yes, in this episode yes, that we recorded. Hundred percent, um, regular new who the all star. Uh, you know, he, everyone knows he likes to get forward. So when that choo choo train starts going down the tracks, I just don't want Choo, aka attacking new who, to be in the way. The choo choo and Choo. It's choo choo choo. Oh my god, there's so there is so much synergy here. I feel I like Garth it. really planned this out. You know, he probably just did it for memes. Yeah, he did it for the memes. Man. Definitely. What a guy. That's the, gal- um, the, the the Sounders are known for that. They're known for yeah. signing, not for like due diligence or planning right. well or having these signings impact their seasons right away. 100%. But rather, you know, can we create, can we find another for player content. that can kick beer cans yes. and create more content, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's how, the, that's how you win MLS Cup, actually. <laughs> this is the secret. This is what's been missing, you know, at other clubs like Houston Dynamo oh, and FC Dallas, you know? God. This is the well, kind Dallas, of Dallas is doing a lot of memeing, by the way. But Hey, man, you um, want to talk about building up a potential internal transfer fund? FC Dallas got millions of dollars in transfer, transfers going out. You can start using on transfers coming in at some point. Yeah, well, maybe. Or maybe not. Who knows? Probably not. Um, what, to answer your other questions, what do I think about these signings? Well, I don't know much about any of these players, Paul, just like most people on this side of the, uh, of, of the I mean, world. I about the trend of the young I think, yes, I'm getting there. I think Jovel Yich, that's what I'm going with, Jovel Yich. Um, that's an interesting one to me. He scored a bunch of goals in Austria last year. Uh, it's not Austria is not a great league, um, but he's young. He was a guy that was playing with Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think that could be interesting. Chicharito, I think has been better with a second forward with him. Right. And I think this, this gives one for the galaxy that has a little bit more talent and pedigree. So that's the one that I'll speak on in terms of soccer, but in terms of the actual trend, you know, this is another bucket, right? It's what we've been talking about for a long time. And I think big picture, it's inefficient to have all of these buckets, but when you zoom in on it, like we're doing right now, right, this adds spend. 
in a significant way, right? These are really significant transfer fees that we're talking about for MLS teams. And I think it's interesting too, and I'm going to dive into these numbers here at some point, but the, the market is down in Europe big time, right? Teams aren't really buying. Uh, the financial crunch from COVID is, is really kind of manifesting. Um, and maybe that'll start to change here. Jack Grealish is going, maybe the dominoes start to fall, right? Who knows? Um, but I don't think we've seen it as acutely felt in MLS. And this is something we talked about over a year ago now, where these owners, the, the financial strength of these owners is really, really remarkable, um, just in, the, in terms of their own wealth and cash, right? And I think we're starting to see that come into play a little bit now, um, where some of these signings that maybe wouldn't have happened even, you know, in February 2020, are able to come to come through now. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's exciting. I'm, I'm interested to see how a lot of these players perform. Um, so yeah, I think so, um, some of them will hit, right. And some of them will not for sure. And that's going to be really, really interesting for the people that are making these signings. Cause those will be expensive mistakes if they are misses. Yeah, so. that, that's what's going to be interesting to watch with these signings. They're all kind of different strategies. Gar- I think Garth Lagerwey said yesterday, Chu cost $2.5 million, so he's not like he's another DP. It's a kind of a TAM level U22 signing. That kind of sets the expectations at a certain level, and that's part of this as well. Um, some of these signings are 5 and $6 million. So we can get an idea of sample size of kind of where teams are shopping, how much they're spending, how they're thinking about risk, how they're thinking about what the expectations are around these young players, how quickly these young players are thrown in. Um, I think part of this too is going to be in the, in today's world. When you make a a signing like this in the summer um, with the way things are going with visas right now, we're not going to see some of these players for weeks and weeks and weeks as they wait for their visas. Um, And so they're not going to have the typical impact of a summer signing uh, where they come in right away and make an impact. It It might take a little longer than fans want. All of that factors in, but it's a good thing. I do think, you know, I, I've been like kind of a negative voice around young money and warning that these aren't all going to be like game changing, team changing signings. But I, I do agree with you that it's think, a good thing. I think thing. realistic voice. I don't think that's negative, Paul. Yeah. I think it's, I just, you're just, you're I, just tamping the, tapping the brakes a bit. Yeah. Just saying like, let's calm down. Let's see how this works and let's acknowledge the risk of it. But I am, I am happy to see all of these teams taking advantage of this extra money and these players coming in. And and lastly, in this segment, Sam, I want to talk about players going out. Yes. And there's three of them. Um, Gianluca Busio officially going to Venezia from Sporting Kansas City. Uh, Frankowski going from the Chicago Fire um, to Ligue 1. Ligue 1. Uh. Ligue 1 with, yeah. with Long. And um, <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that later in the show. Yeah, too, and Tejan yeah. Buchanan, it seems like, could be on his way to Belgium and Sam or Vines. Germany. And Sam Vines was officially Official. going yeah. to Royal Antwerp. So the trends are good, man, in MLS. Like, this is, you know, these transfer windows are starting to become really interesting for us to cover in ways that they yeah. weren't before. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say teams around MLS have known for a long time that you're typically going to come out on the wrong end of a deal when you work with Peter Vermees. And now teams in Italy are learning that you're typically going to come out on the wrong end of the deal when you work with Peter Vermees. Um, explain that, What Paul. I'm trying to say is it's a really, really good deal for Sporting Kansas City. My reporting okay. is $6.5 million up front for SKC, which in itself yeah. is a, an amazing price for Busio. Yeah. With another $4 million in easily reachable incentives. What was described wow. to me as easily reachable. And okay. then they still keep 20% of the sell-on. 
And then there are other incentives that can drive that number up significantly higher than that. So, And he got a free vacation to Venice out of the deal. Peter oh, Vermes, not unbelievable. kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy, crazy good deal for SKC. Um, we'll they threw in a gondola, too. Venezia, you know? Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, look. It's. I think it's just a really cool time to be covering no. major league soccer. And it feels different. It feels yeah. different from the selling perspective, and it's still there's still a long way to go for MLS to become a selling league. It's still very much a buying league, um, but there's real progress that's being made. And and one thing I just wanted to note because I I spoke to the Colorado guys about this yesterday, Porig Smith and Robin Frazier about Sam Vines. That wasn't a super high price. I think it was ma- it's maxing out at two million, right? But it was their first. In terms of this is a young academy kid who's going to Europe. We think he's going to make an impact. It's a club that's playing European competition. Like, we need to get him in the door and he needs to do well. And yeah, the money is important, but getting him there so we can prove our concept is more important, right? And and that's something that they think will hopefully pay off for them down the road. You see that happening, you know, that needs to happen for individual clubs. It also needs to happen for the league as a whole. Right, so it's it's good to see a team in the case of Colorado jumping on that board, making the sale with hey, this might not be quite as much money as we wanted, but we think it'll help us down the road in the future. And European teams look to Dallas, right? Dallas has proven their concept, but I don't know that anyone else in MLS really has yet. Maybe Philly, maybe, but I think they're very much on the front end of that process. And other teams need to get; they just need to do volume, man. They need to make sales. And they need to do that to kind of accelerate kind of, you know, the belief. Um, and, and I think that'll pay dividends in the long run. So curious to see how that goes. Do you think Tejan Buchanan goes, by the way? I hope so. I was just going to say, I think it's a, a positive step. I didn't think Bruce Arena was going to pull the trigger on this. I think he was, I thought he was going to be a little too focused on the short term of trying to win an MLS Cup, which is understandable. He's the coach of the team too. I think it's really important that that doesn't happen. And so... Credit to them. If they get this sale done, I've reportedly, I think Tom Bogert, who, who's been crushing it at MLSsoccer.com, reported yeah. at the terms that you know agreed to in principle at $7 million with a loan back. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. $7 million yeah. sale with a loan back. Because then you get to keep him for your, for your run this season, too. Yeah. And that's so great. Yeah. I, hope it, I hope it happens. And, um, you know, I should note, you know, this is the end of the transfer window for teams buying outside of free mm-hmm. agents in MLS, but we could still see multiple sales yeah. going out. So keep stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned and stay tuned to the show. We'll be back with more in the next segment. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Paul, there was some ownership news 
in MLS this week. I guess news isn't really quite the right word. There was an ownership unveiling. The Wilf family has officially taken over Orlando City. Flavio Augusto da Silva is no longer the lead owner in Florida. The Wilfs, Mark Wilf, had a had a press conference on Wednesday in Orlando to kind of outline his vision, his plans, his reasoning for wanting to buy the team, all of that good stuff. And you got to speak to him briefly, a little one on one after uh, after that press conference. So. Tell us a little bit about what you found out, what he said to you, what you think. For those of you who don't know, the Wilf family, of course, owns the Minnesota Vikings in the NFL, and I believe they still are part owners of Nashville SC, although they will have to sell that stake now that they've taken over the majority control of Orlando. So, Paul, what'd you think? Yeah, well, I think this will fit nicely into our new recurring segment of how would you fix, in this case, how would you fix Orlando City? And what's interesting about this is, there isn't a ton you have to fix on the sporting yeah, it's not, side. It's not really broken. Right? Yeah. It's not a sporting side issue. But there are things that are worth fixing on kind of the what we don't see on the field. Right? And I think that's what I found encouraging in my conversation with Mark Wolf is he understands that there is a good amount of investment that needs to occur on the back end of Orlando City in order to get it up to a level where it can truly compete you know, year in, year out in Major League Soccer. And so infrastructure spending, I think, is going to be a really big focus of the Will family as they now take full control of this team. And, you know, he's not going to make any, the Will family is not going to make any rash decisions. I spoke with Mark Wilf, um, who will be the kind of, um, you know, front man, the, the, the main owner of, uh, of, of Orlando City and the Orlando Pride, um, the chairman, if you will. But, you know, they are going to, I will. They, they have started to evaluate already where they can inject money, right? That is, I mean, investment mm-hmm. is what ownership is all about. And so for me, that's a big area where Orlando City will benefit. Flavio Augusta da Silva, he kind of did what he could with the amount of money he could invest in the team, but mm-hmm. that level wasn't anything that was going to take it to the potential of the market, which I still believe is, is Portland Timbers. Like I believe, Orlando City can be the Timbers. Well, they're not. They're not really that far off of that, honestly, in terms of the crowds and whatnot. They are. They are. They haven't had those consistent crowds in a while. And you know, when they first well, started, to, they were. To there. be fair, though, to be fair to Orlando, they were bad. Yes, for years. That's what I'm talking about. And but they still drew pretty well. The atmosphere down there can be rocking. They they would draw well at the beginning of every season, and then they would fall off. You remember, I think one year they started 6-1 and one under Jason Kreiss. Those games were were raucous. Yeah, the I atmosphere mean, was I'm fantastic. About, like, it was to, full house. To get to a and, point where you're consistent, where you can drive fans into the sure. stadium beyond just the supporter section. The supporter section is always going to be there. They're always going to be loud. They're always going to be abusive. They create the best. <laughs> they are. They're abusive. <laughs> they, in a good way. Like I, I always say this. Orlando City, in my mind, is the best and most difficult atmosphere in Major League Soccer. Because like I was watching the other night. I think it was, was it the Austin game or somebody who was like, a goal happened and like, oh, it silenced the home crowd. Except for the home crowd was like still just singing. Yeah, their songs. it's Austin. Yeah. You know, because these fans, it's it's. I mean, I hesitate to go into supporters. Do it. And get Do a bunch it. Of emails. Do it. But like. You know, I, I always cite Adrian Heath saying this, and I agree with him. They went to Portland one year in the expansion season, and he said, you know, I'm not really intimidated to play in Portland because you're up 3 nothing. they're singing the songs. They're down 3 nothing. you're singing the songs. They never change. The atmosphere is the same. It's not like, 
you know, in Orlando, sure. if you walk into the stadium, you know if that team is winning, you know if they're losing, and you know mm-hmm. if it's a close game or not. They let you know. And I always respected that about Orlando City. I, I think it's a very tough place to play. And if you get on the bad side of those fans, as Justin Merriam can tell you, it doesn't matter if you're wearing their uniform no. or not. Yeah. So it's just a very difficult place to play. I think that it can consistently fill the stadium. And Mark Wolf talked about that. You know, they're going to they're gonna unveil a season ticket package in the next week or so that they believe will be more attractive to drive more fans into that stadium consistently mm-hmm. for the whole stadium. And obviously, they've also, as everyone has, was, was impacted by COVID. Yeah, I was going to say that. They want to see that go- stadium They've full. been good under COVID. Like <laughs> Again, they need... What they were in their first season or two is different than what they were in seasons three and four before COVID. You know, last year, obviously, being good again was really impacted. They couldn't really have fans. This year, they've started to have fans back. And um, I think people are hesitant to come back to the stadium. I'm hesitant to go to a stadium. Yeah, I mean, some people are comfortable. Some people aren't, right? Not everyone that would be there would be there. But I think it's I think it's um, noteworthy that Mark Wolf talked about that. We, we believe we can fill this stadium consistently. We believe there are some things we can fix on the commercial side of things. You know, he, he did talk about the partners that they have, Orlando Health, which has been the jersey sponsor for Orlando City since they were in USL. Um, you know, f- there are different sponsors that are there already. Um, but, you know, impacting the commercial side of things, impacting investment. On the sporting side, I thought it was notable that the investments he talked about were, you know, those areas of infrastructure spending that you and I talk about all the time, which is, you know, are you going to put in money into the academy yes they're going to put up money from the academy right they're going to put up um you know they're going to put more teams on the field they only have two academy fields uh two academy teams and they're going to put more money into the sporting department they're going to hire more scouts they're going to um they're going to build up the staff around Luis Musi and Oscar Pereira those are really important areas in a capped league you don't have a cap on your spending on the back end. Analytics. He said they're going to invest in analytics. I also note, noted with Mark Wolf that they've been linked now to two signings, one at a $10 million price point, one at an $8 million price point. And, right. you know, that's that's not a typical Orlando City spend. That's not um, a world they've lived in outside of Kaká. Really. Right, who was a free transfer on a $7 million salary. And right. so, and he said, look, we're not going to try to spend just to spend. We're not going to spend so that you can rank us at the top of MLS or, you know, that, that that it's a talking point. But if we believe that there's a good player to go get, if our sporting staff tells us this is the right player and this is the price, then we're going to spend that money to bring that player. And the same goes for how they spend on the back end, you know, how they hire out staff. They're not going to spend that money just to spend, he said, but they have they have recognized and targeted areas where they're going to inject investment. And I think that's something all Orlando City fans should mm-hmm. be happy to hear. Yeah, I mean, that would be exciting to me if I'm an Orlando fan. That's exciting to me as someone that follows the league. You know, you want to see clubs improve in these areas. You want to see clubs improve in all areas. But Orlando have done a really nice job these last two years in particular under Luis Muzi and Oscar Pereja of turning that team around, right? And now they're going to have – those guys are going to have more resources at their disposal. I'm curious, Paul, did did they say did, – did Mark Wolf say anything about about Oscar and Luis and kind of their status moving forward? Yeah, he did. He said, he said, look, we know that they have a good reputation in MLS. So there's no desire or rush to make any sort of decisions or moves there. Um, you know, they, they, 
I think they are not blind to the progress that's been made over the last year and a half in Orlando. Um, he said, look, but we don't want them to be alone. We want to build up a staff around them, give them more resources to do their jobs better. And that's what their focus is right now is, is spending around the staff that's already there in order to help make the decisions more efficient um, and better. And that, you know, analytics, that's when he brought up analytics as the department that they can really grow to make sure that they're investing in the right places and in the right ways. Um, and I thought I also mentioned I brought up Daryl DK with him. Because my concern is anytime there's a change in ownership, it can impact whether a player is sold or not. Certainly, I don't think the interest in Daryl DK is as high as it was when he left Barnsley. Um, I don't think there's been an offer on the table yet for, more, for Orlando City. Um, but he did say that they are they know what they don't know, right? They understand that there are experts there and they are getting to learn that part of soccer is selling as well as buying. And so I think if the right offer does come from Daryl DK... They won't be afraid to pull the trigger and sell, which I think is going to be a really important step for Orlando City and for all teams in MLS to start developing a reputation that they can that you can come to that club, play well and be sold on. Orlando City doesn't have that reputation. I brought it up before. The fans hate it when I say it. But, you know, they just lost Chris Mueller on a free. Um, You know, they they lost Kyle Lahren in a, you know, weird standoff situation. and and at some point, it'll be really positive for them to do something like this, to sell DK um, and kind of signal to to players that this is a place like, you know, others in MLS and others around the world where you can come and grow and be sold on. Yeah, especially if they're going to be in that market for those young South American guys that they've been rumored to be going after. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know if there's a ton of reason why they should be like, we need to hold on to Daryl. Not that he's a bad player or anything for them. He's produced, but he's produced in very, very limited time for them this season. He's only played four of their 16 games. They're doing just fine without him. Pato is about to come back from injury. So it's not like their success has been driven by Daryl DK so far this season. It's been driven by Nani. It's been driven by Antonio Carlos, Robin Janssen, um, some of those other guys. Matias Pereira. Um, you know, they have a good squad down there. And... I am excited to see what the Wilfs do to add to it. Uh, I do think it's kind of interesting, Paul. In MLS, you see a lot of spending on infrastructure, on stadiums, right? Academies. The academy programs, they, they spend a lot of money on, and I would imagine, I don't know this for sure, but I would guess that they spend a lot of money on the academy programs relative to the rest of the world, even. Teams spend money on sports science. Teams, the practice facilities, like, I mean probably Premier League and Bundesliga are better, I would guess, but not all Premier League and Bundesliga right, teams. Some, some. Yeah, and, and like and like if you take MLS as a whole, they're probably right there in terms of the quality of the practice facilities with those two leagues um and probably better than anybody else, which is insane. And owners are willing to spend, but they still don't really spend that much on the overall roster, but <laughs> I don't know. That's a weird one to me, but that's really where they make their impact. Right. And that's where you see kind of the wanna be big clubs and the big clubs separate themselves from the others. Right. Um what's the facility situation in Orlando? I don't even know it off the top of my head. Yeah, they built well, they didn't build. They took over a former minor league baseball facility um south of Orlando, about an hour south of Orlando. I think it was two years ago, and they, they redid it um for Orlando City and built a bunch of fields around that facility. 
not an ideal location, but they needed a home. They needed somewhere where they could practice consistently, where they had fields, multiple fields, where they had locker rooms for the academy as well as for the first team. It's okay. Um, Mark Wolf did say, you know, they are looking at investing in the training facility. They are looking at investing in the stadium to improve it and to upkeep it. So there are plans to do that. And like you said, I mean, I think that's a big part of ownership responsibility right now in Major League Soccer. It's trying to get your facility to a point where you can compete with the other teams around the league and where you can make it an attractive place for for players to come play. Um, but I, the one thing I, I thought about, though, in the City Training Facility is it's, it's not in a very convenient location um, for anyone, you know, familiar with the orlando area it's pretty how close is it to disney world that's the only thing much closer to disney world than it is to downtown orlando (laughs) (laughs) so it's super convenient then i don't know what you're talking about um (laughs) what's your sense we talk about this a lot and it's been a theme for us over years now but the owners that are ambitious and that really want to push the league forward and want to remove some of the governors versus the smaller time more conservative owners the Wolves, on the surface, to me, would probably, I would guess, fall into the latter, or the, the former group. I don't know which one, former, latter. They would fall into the more ambitious group, <laughs> I would imagine. Um, what's your sense on that, and, and did you did you get any insight from Mark Wolf on that? I think the way he spoke about investing in the team would, would indicate to me that they're more in the aggressive more on the aggressive side, less on the conservative side. You know, I asked him about what he thought regarding valuations of MLS teams going going up so fast and so high. And he spoke about the trajectory of the league, the growth trajectory, the how people are projecting where the league could be, and all of those things that we've heard before that Sam, normal, you wrote about. Normal talking you know, points. You wrote about it extensively. Um, and And... That's why they wanted to get in as majority owners. You know, they've been trying to get in. You know, they had a bid to have the team in Minnesota before Bill McGuire and Minnesota United won that bid. Then they became minority partners in Nashville, and now they purchased a team in Orlando. So clearly they're bullish on this league. And and I think I believe that they will be a more aggressive ownership group. And if you're if you're coming in and immediately shopping for $10 million DPs, mm-hmm. it, it puts you in that next tier right i think orlando city was previously probably in like a dc united tier of spending no they were yeah. above that no i mean i dc united's had a couple what what was a you know a four million dollar purchases i think orlando city was pretty close to that i think they've had i think they've had literally one of those <laughs> well who has orlando city had they've had one seven million dollar signing and a seven million dollar per mm. year salary of Kaka. not nani isn't cheap nani was a free transfer and he's on I know. like two or three million Sh- yeah, but that two or three million is not cheap. I think I think that they are now bumping up a tier. I yeah. think they're bumping up to the new Columbus ownership tier with Zellerion as a ten million dollar transfer. Portland Timbers that, that those are the teams that are spending eight to ten million dollars on transfer fees. Even sure. Seattle Sounders. I mean, you have to have multiple signings at that number to be the Seattle Sounders. But we don't know yet where they're going to yeah, go. From I don't here. think the Sounders have ever gone above seven for a fee. Right, Ray Diaz was I think seven or seven and a half. Yeah, but if you're buying two or three guys at that price point, it puts you in that that you know just slightly tick above. But I think you know again that's what they should be aspiring to. If they get to that level, if they get to the Portland level at least, then it's a it's a different franchise in my opinion. The 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 ceiling goes yeah. higher. Yeah, hundred percent. 
I do, you know, what was, what was the quoted purchase price? And I think you reported on this, what was it? 450 million or thereabouts. I think that the number that I don't think I reported, they were trying to say that the, the valuation was around 400 million. And that's for the, for city, for the pride and for the stadium. Correct. I do not believe, by the way, just from my conversations with sources since the sale was finalized, I do not believe that it started with a four. I don't think they got to the $400 million level. But not not too far from that, right? As far as enterprise valuation, I don't think it was too far from that. But it was less than... I believe both Houston and Orlando fell short of $400 million in, in valuation. Re- regardless, if you're paying close to $400 million, we'll call it, or upper 300s or over 350 or even just 350 to make it a little more theoretical. If you're paying that much money to buy into a league, you're pretty serious about what you want to do, right? Like that right there is a statement of intent and a statement of ambition, right? And I think when we talk about things like getting a critical mass of owners who want to be more aggressive and who want to push the league forward, I think it's starting to build even more. You know, I'm not saying Orlando is going to be first in line when it comes to being super aggressive, right? I think that's probably going to be LAFC in Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, uh, Miami perhaps. <laughs> Miami might be, you know, they might be trying to fly under the radar with how aggressive they want to be. They tried that once they got caught, but that's a different show. Um so, you know, I think it'll continue to be those teams. But if you have other teams falling in line kind of closer behind them, eventually you're going to start to see the scales start to tip a little bit further and a little bit further. And you're going to start to see that spending become less restrictive and the ways the teams are allowed to spend become less restrictive. Hopefully, knock on wood. Hope that shows up on the podcast, that little, that little knock I just did. Um, but I think this is a good thing in that regard. I'm less convinced of that with Houston and their new ownership, but the jury's still out on that for sure. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, it seems like the Wolves will be pretty good owners. I think they have a decent track record with the Vikings, although I can't claim to be more than a casual observer of what's going on up there. I am an NFC North fan. They're <laughs> willing fan to of spend. A team in the I NFC mean, North. They, they spent a ton of money on Kirk Cousins. I don't know if that was a great decision, but yeah. they're, they're considered <laughs> to be good owners. Who's I, the Kirk Cousins of MLS? Like pretty much like 60% of the league is the Kirk Cousins of MLS. Like it's a guy who like for like four games a year is like the best player at the most important position in the league. And like four games a year is terrible and it's going to kill you. And the rest of the time is like perfectly average. Right. Is that Kirk Cousins? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I would say so. Having having watched a lot of Washington football games with Kirk Cousins, he he just overall does just enough to make you think he could be good, but he's not. He can't <laughs> get you over the top, right? So who is that in MLS? I don't, I don't know. know Ezekiel Barco. Like like he could be good, but like he's just like not there. And he's sometimes he scores. Sometimes he scores a fadeaway turn around upper 90 from 35 into the far post, right? But most of the time he just dribbles into a blind corner and gets stripped. So, yeah. <laughs> um but hey, if Orlando City started signing Ezekiel Barco type 
players as far as reputation when he got to Atlanta it would definitely mm-hmm. be a whole different level. I mean, I, Kirk I, Cousins was the highest paid player in NFL history for a while there, I think. I will say to you, I do agree with you. I think the early signals are that Orlando City ownership is going to spend at a different level than Houston ownership. I think Houston ownership yeah. has a lot to prove quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Quickly. Well, the early the early signs don't tell me that Houston's going to be super different from what Houston was. Yeah. There's in a terms difference of the between DP being signing. linked to like eight to ten million dollar signings, and then like the DP announcement that Houston made of teenage Hadebe, which it, I mean, that was I'm like, not trying to. Yeah. It's like that Debbie Downer from SNL where you zoom in on someone's face. It's like when you get that email. <laughs> like, wah wah wah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense no offense oh man a lot of kirk cousins talk some debbie downer talk let's take a quick break we'll come back with kind of a roundup of things going on around mls this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And we are back, allocation disorder, all-star edition, sort of, not really, all-star team announcement edition, I think we can call it. Uh, MLS released the list of all-stars on Wednesday. We've got a roster that is going to be taking on a group of Liga MAX all-stars at Bank of California Stadium later this month, later in August. Paul, you want me to run down the roster real quick? I guess so. It's a very important game. All right. Yeah, it is. It's a hugely important game. It will decide North American It supremacy. actually, I, I shouldn't be sarcastic. It is an important game. More people watch this all-star game than like 95% of major league soccer games that are on TV. So it actually is an important advertisement for the league. We can get back to that later because I'm not sure I agree with that necessarily. Um, goalkeepers. We've got two. Pedro Gaese, El Pulpo from Orlando City. And Gold Cup hero, Matt Turner of the New England Revolution. Uh, defenders, Bob Bradley selection, Juliana Araujo from the LA Galaxy. Jesus Murillo, center back, LAFC, another Bob Bradley selection. My man, Nuhu, voted in as a left back, deservedly, even though he's been playing left center back this season in a three-man back line. A Sam, Stasekul, back line. a Sam Stasekul selection. I mean, it, it, yeah, it did make me happy. He was voted in, uh, deservedly. Another Gold Cup hero, Miles Robinson, center back Atlanta United, Bob Bradley selection. One of the two rolled on brothers on this team, Alex, voted in from the Sounders. Uh, James Sands, a Bob Bradley selection at center back. Kai Wagner, Bob Bradley selection at left back. Yamar Gomez Andrade. Yamar, for those who want to go down that road, voted in. Seattle really showing up well on the vote here. 
Um, Walker Zimmerman from Nashville also voted in. Uh, looks like he's going to be back from his injury in time for this game, by the way, for those of you wondering. Midfielders, Edward Atuesta, Carles Heel, probably the MVP frontrunner, Demir Krylak from RSL, Jao Paolo, another sounder, Emmanuel Reyos, Reynoso, another Bradley selection, and Christian Roldan, another Gold Cup hero, uh, and Lucas Zellerian. Uh, who was voted in from the crew, and then 10 forwards slash wingers, Gustavo Bo of the Revs, Tejan Buchanan of the Revs. I think we can call him a Gold Cup hero too, right? No, young player of the uh, tournament. Cade Cowell, or as someone called him in a text to me today, Cade Cowbell, um, which made me, made me giggle. <laughs> um, he was a commissioner selection, both Buchanan and, and Cowell were. Uh, Chicharito, Nani, Ricardo Pepe from FC Dallas, Bob Bradley selection, young homegrown, Diego Rossi, LAFC winger, Raul Ruiz Diaz, golden boot leader, Daniel Shallowy, who can't stop scoring goals after like three years where he couldn't hit the back of the net if you gave him a bajillion dollars, and Carlos Vela, who was voted in, not a Bob Bradley selection, but the LAFC star. So there's your all-star team. Paul, any thoughts on the roster? Any snubs that you think should have made it that didn't? Any guys that are in there that were that are you're raising your eyebrow a little? What would the odds have been if I told you that the Roldan brothers would be all star selections on the same all star team before the Iguain brothers? Like wow, if I told the, you like four the years Roldans. ago that um, Iguain was coming to MLS and that he and Federico would play together. When were you are you telling me that Gonzalo came in, in twenty twenty late twenty twenty? I said four years ago. I don't know. You have to just well, figure it out. Because, like, if you're telling me that Gonzalo came in late 2020 and Federico's, like, 36, then, like, eh, I don't know. I think the odds would have been maybe okay. I wonder if there have been any other brothers who have played together on the All-Star team. We'll have to find that out. Rick Laws will know. He will know. Um, I mean, MLS does love brothers. Like, siblings in MLS. It's been a thing forever. And, you know, maybe maybe there's been maybe there's been a set. Who knows? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, I thought Brad Stuver could have gotten some love, the Austin FC goalkeeper. I think he's had a really good year. Um, other than that, I don't know, maybe one of the Orlando center backs over Mario for LAFC. Uh, Antonio Carlos or Robin Janssen. I think both of them have been good. Antonio Carlos in particular. Um, I th- would have liked to see them represented, I think. But, you know, you got Gaese back there from, from the Lions. It's a big Orlando show. Your hometown. Um, so those, are, those are a couple that stand out to me. Um, but other than that, you know, I think this should be a fun spectacle. Uh, I think it'll be interesting and, you know, a lot of people do watch it. I'm not sure how important it, that makes it, but a lot of people do watch it. I think it matters. I think it matters, but it, and it matters because they're playing before they were playing against these big global brands and it kind of brought attention to the league from overseas, right? That was part of it too, is playing MLS all-stars against Bayern Munich or, whoever it might be, you know, Tottenham or whatever. And this one's a little bit different in that it's Liga Mekis against MLS. And I, I like it. I like that it's a changeover. I think it sells this new rivalry that they're trying to create between the no, two. No, I think this format is great. This and, format's great. But I think it adds a little bit even more importance on trying to, you know, actually MLS should absolutely compete or win this game. And it's not even close to indicative of the reason why they constantly lose to Liga MX teams, Liga Mekis teams in champions league because like that's all about the depth of a roster this is like the strongest thing about mls is like it's all stars right like the top three yeah. in this roster yeah um though there are a few non-top three guys on this team for sure kai wagner yeah, like alex roldan james sands daniel shalloy yeah um 
but you know what quite I mean. a few. Yeah, I do know what you mean. The stars in MLS are could be stars in in many leagues in the world, and and they're good players, and they will show out. Um, you know, you, maybe you convince me, Paul. Maybe it is important. Maybe you get some Liga MX fans who are sort of interested in MLS, and you can break down the wall a little bit more. You can chip their perception that the MLS isn't a league worth worth following, and they can go out and they can smash Gignac and all of his buddies from Tigres and America and Monterey. Um, and who knows? Maybe we'll see Rodolfo Pizarro play for the Liga MX All-Stars on the Revenge Tour and Gio Dos Santos as well. Um, just the former collection of former DPs from MLS. Although Pizarro, you know, not yet a former DP. We'll see. That could change soon. <laughs> like, Sam, do you know something I don't know? Um, I know Miami's trying to just get rid of everybody. That's true. Um, but, you know... We'll see. I think they might have a hard time finding a taker for more than, you know, pennies on the dollar for Pizarro at this point. Uh, but it would be kind of funny if he was in that game. No, there's there's some comedic value there. I think it's too late for that. But, you know, certainly. I, well, I mean, I you know, you never know. Liga Mekis could could pull a Bob, uh, a Don, yeah. Don Garber. Who was it that like signed with the league and immediately came to the All-Star game? Drogba? Liam Ridgewell. Well, I feel like it was Drogba. I think Drogba was like first game he played was the all-star game. I mean, that might have happened too, but like literally this, I wasn't kidding. That (laughs) happened with Liam Ridgewell. (laughs) Like, I think to be fair, the game was in Portland. I think there was an injury or one of the center backs had to pull out. So they were just like, throw Liam in. He's a designated player. He just arrived. So I will say I've never, it wasn't totally unreasonable. I've never connected more to any celebration in soccer ever than the Rigi roll. <laughs> the Rigi roll, I was all about that. Can you just explain to the listeners who might not know what the Rigi roll is? I want you to describe it. It was like a very unathletic attempt at a somersault. That's not how I remember it. Right? Didn't he like a like he did like this weird like somersault roll? Man, we're gonna have one of us might have to look this up. Can you you look this up while I describe what I think it was? I thought it was he would just like stand up hands plastered to his side straight as a board fall over and then just roll around on the ground <laughs> which is way funnier than what you described so are you did you find it have you found it i pulled it up i'm about to watch all it right let's YouTube. let's watch the video together right okay. here on this podcast this is the yes. compelling podcast content yeah it's a visual medium you know <laughs> Hold on. all right maybe narrate what you see paul well you know, help help me out a little bit here okay right now i'm filling. watching a david guzman free kick Ridgewell with the header. Okay. And uh, he looks back. They're showing multiple goals. Like, who wants to see this goal? Nobody. We want to see the Ridgey roll. Yeah. It's literally now a slow-mo replay of David Guzman's free kick, which we definitely don't need. You love David Guzman. He's very poor defending. Who are they uh, playing against? Atlanta United. Okay. This is the now the ninth replay of the goal. (laughs) And here's another replay of the goal. I don't get it. We, We see it from every angle. Okay, here we go. He's spinning. He's coming towards me. And what does he do? He he drops to his knees and he rolls. You're right. He drops to his knees and sticks his arms up above his head like a pencil. And then he rolls. <laughs> Maybe my favorite celebration is a combo. Maybe I was thinking in my head because I watched the other day. The rigid roll, which is great. The pencil over the head and you roll. Mixed yeah. with Robbie Keane, how he used to do his roll and then shoot his like guns or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. That was good too because it was a terrible somersault. But he was like, I so, thought, it, I so thought he didn't he do cartwheels. It. Yeah, it was like a weird, like it was like a, but he, he, it wasn't a cartwheel, but it wasn't like a handspring. It was like a, 
hybrid where you know like how like i would try to do a cartwheel where you can't really there's a hand wheel you can't really get your legs over your head straight you know a cart spring yeah i i I identify with any unathletic looking celebrations what i'm trying to say man now i'm thinking about my like favorite celebrations there was one this is a really deep cut uh abdulai mansali mansali former rsl great played for the revs for a while before that um played for the dynamo too i believe he scored a goal for RSL against DC at RFK Stadium. And it was like a really weird game. I think it was like six to two. And he just hauled off and kicked the hell out of an ad board that he was standing right next. Just kicked it as hard as he could. And I was like, that looked like it really hurt. I can um, say for sure that the one MLS celebration I did playing growing up was the the digital Takiwara train. You know, where you grab... Oh, one, digital crawl. Yeah. Yeah, you grab one of the ankles of the guy in front of you, you know, and you're all crawling forward. <laughs> I told Frank Lopez that I did that celebration. Frank did it, actually, in, in Kansas City, you know? It's sort of like, a uh, you know, an MLS human centipede. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. All right. Awkward transition. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> the All-Star game and how important it is for the league. Ah, uh, yeah. I think we covered that base pretty well. Um... Some other things happening around MLS. Outgoing sales, potentially. Venezia is is the new Fulham. I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm actually going to talk to their owner next week. Stay tuned for that one. Is that disrespectful Just... to the most important American in the, in the national team pool, Fulham left back Anthony Robinson, who is wanted by some of the biggest clubs in the world who are trying their best to pry him out of the hands of Fulham? who desperately, desperately are holding on to the most talented left What back. are you talking about? I've been reading the comment section of my tears, USMNT piece. People are pissed that I Is it making you cry? Robinson. Real I tears? Know. It's making me cry that people rate Anthony Robinson that highly. Yeah. How high did you have him? I think I had him in like tier four fighting for a death spot. I had Sam Vines in like tier three or tier four. It's not like I rate Sam Vines as the greatest left back either. I have Serginio Dest as the left back. Mm. That's what I have. Yeah, it's going to be hard for either of those guys to beat him out if he, if he does indeed end up at left back. Um, so yeah, a couple potential outgoing moves to Venezia with Gianluca Busio, Tanner Tessman's already there, Eric Palmer Brown. So that'll I'm actually really curious to see how that plays out. People I've spoken to are are very much expecting them to be relegated immediately back to Serie B. <laughs> um, they're not so sure about the strategy that that they're that they're employing there, but um, I don't know, man. I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out. Uh, any other topics we need to hit briefly here before we sign off for the week? You know, Sam, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, for me, I would like to keep an eye on um, what the strategies are going to be of some of these teams with coaching decisions a- a- after this transfer window and GM decisions. Mm-hmm. We'll have, I think we'll see once this window closes, hires in Atlanta and San Jose and then yeah. – a decision to be made one way or the other by Toronto. Are they going to hire somebody or are they not going to hire somebody? I mean, they've been doing okay with Avi Perez. It seems like they're kind of content to roll with him for a while. Yeah. So for me, that's the next big news nugget to watch is what happens to the open jobs and do other jobs open up in major league soccer. I'm um, sure they will. Teams that are feeling a little bit desperate. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows, man? Oh, I forgot an outgoing move. Shemislaw Frankowski. Looks like he's headed to France to league mm, to to Lens. I don't know how you say that. Len Len Long Long Oh Long. 
Oh. We're big fans here of French pronunciations. As we as as many people might know, the MLS Reserve League, or as we call it here, MLS League de. Oh, I forgot about MLS de. What a duh me I am. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder. This has gone on far too long. <laughs>